I don't know uh, how many of you, if you were read is. Does anyone know what the Apostles' Creed is? Have you ever heard? As a young boy, I grew up with the Apostles' Creed. I knew the Apostles to memorize it. We had to break it down. We had to understand it. And and but there was something in there that that drew my attention for Christmas. And I want I want I want to read it to you. And uh, I'm sure you don't know where I'm going with this, but you'll get it in just a little bit. He says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, small c, Catholic Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, there's everything in here we believe. We believe everything in here. But even as a kid, here's, here's my question. There's only two people named, two people named in the... Apostles' Creed. Who are they? Mary and Pilate. Jesus is God. Okay. So we got Mary and Pilate. And even as a kid, it always hit me, how did he get in this? Why do we have Pilate in here? Is it really necessary to put his name in there? And some people might think, well, we just want to make sure we know who killed Jesus. But when you look at it, you know, he's not the one that brought Jesus to the court. In fact, he wanted to wash, he did wash his hands of it. He said, I find no fault in him. He said, listen, I'll give you Barabbas, I'll give you someone else. I mean, he did everything he could to avoid it. So it was the religious leaders, it was the church people (laughs) that killed him. But before you go off and blame the Jews, let me say it this way. It's actually our sins. Oh, come on. I'll wait on an amen right there. It's really our sins. Amen. Some people, we talk, we see those pictures of him struggling under the weight of the cross. But I'm here to tell you, it wasn't the weight of the wood. It was the weight of our sins that made that cross so heavy. Every whip the crown of thorns on his head. So you, you got Mary, and you got Pilate, and of course, so why Pilate? Why not? And I, I get, you know, one of the things is Pilate was the one that was the official. Somebody had to sign off on this. The, the Jews couldn't crucify him without his signature. He was the Roman governor. He was not a Jew, okay? He was a secularist. He was a pagan. He was the, the Roman governor. So you got Mary named and Pilate named. So why is that important, and what does it mean? The Apostles' Creed is important historically, and then I'll, I'll eventually, I want to talk about Mary, then I'll talk about Pilate and why the two are in here. But it's important to understand why the Apostles' Creed, 
because it's, it's come the first time we see it, and it may not be in, in exact exact version like this, but the first time we see something referenced in writing to the Apostles' Creed is about 390 A.D. And they began to write this down, and they called it the Apostles' Creed. It's what we believe. A little history lesson. Can, can I do a history lesson? There were no church buildings until the Emperor Constantine gets saved at about about 312 A.D. That's 300 years after Jesus. Now get this. Christians lived for 300 years without church buildings. This is even more shocking. There was not what we now call the New Testament. There were these letters passing around like the letter to the Philippians or the letter to Thessalonica. These letters were passed around, but they were not recognized as the Bible until about, again, about the same time, about 390 A.D. at the Council of Hippo and another council right after that uh, in 395. So we, we get this council that says, you know what? We're putting all these letters together, all these, and the Gospels, and we're putting them together, and now we're calling this the Word of God, and this is the Scripture. It is of equal authority as the Old Testament. So here's my question. For 390 years, they didn't have a New Testament. Today we get all upset because we have different versions. It's like, oh, we, oh, the Word of God, we can't have all these different versions. And, you know, one, one man said, uh, some of us are actually, uh, oh, I hate to, so, some person, people have said that the Bible has become a paper pope. Oh, yeah, it got quiet. And we'll fight over everything. And I believe it is the Word of God in its original form, which we no longer have. We don't have the original letter that Luke wrote. We don't have it. But I believe it was the Word of God. So we, we get all worried about all this stuff. But, but here, let me throw this out too. In the early, for the first 1,700 years of the church, 95%, maybe 99% of all people didn't know how to read. Many times kings didn't know how to read. The people who knew how to read were the priests. They would go to school. They would learn how to read. And uh, uh, even, even as a child when I was growing up, we were not allowed to interpret the Scriptures. Only priests could interpret Scripture. You could read it if you want to, but don't try to interpret it. Because only priests could. And that comes from years when, when they were the only ones educated. So now get this. If you were uh, in, the, in the Middle Ages, you never read the Word of God. And they didn't have the Bible on tape. That came a little later. Gutenberg didn't invent his press until about 1500. 
So they weren't printing stuff. Wow. So for 1,700 years, no one read. You know what? They only heard, say, heard, heard. They only heard the word in a sermon on Sunday morning. That's it. And, of course, back then they went to church. You didn't hear me. I said they went to church. Even when I was a kid, we went to church on Sunday. Oh, come on, give me an amen. It was not an option. I remember, I remember my dad getting up. We had a foot of snow. He put, he's putting chains on the tires. We're going to church. They never canceled church. Glory to God, old days. So they never read the word. Only the priests would interpret the word. What they did have, though, not in writing, but they would memorize it, and they knew it. What they had was the Apostles' Creed. They knew what they had to believe, and that was written down but they, of course, they couldn't read it, but they memorized it, and they would know what that was. Where did, the, where did this Apostles' Creed come from? We see it in the book of Acts, chapter 2, and verse 42 talks about where, where this came from. And they continued steadfastly in the what? Apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They got together to pray. They got together and they broke bread. They ate together. They had fellowship. They celebrated communion. Amen. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles. They didn't have the New Testament. They had the teaching, the creed of the apostles. The apostles' creed. This is what kept us through centuries until finally we had the New Testament. And then, and then later on after, you know, really until 1700s, people finally were able to read and write. Some of you are old enough to remember where everybody didn't know how to read. Don't say amen. Everyone knew what the teaching of the apostles. So, so this is really important. So let me come back to it. Why in the world do we put Pontius Pilate in this thing? It doesn't make sense. How many want to know why? I'll tell you later. First, let's look at Mary. She's the other person mentioned in this. Now, listen, there are many examples of women in the Scriptures that are barren. Right? Hannah. Talk about Rachel. Sarah was like 90 years old when she had a child. Talk about a miracle. How many do not want that blessing? Even at 50? <laughs> Elizabeth? But Mary wasn't barren. Mary was a virgin. But she couldn't have a child just like they couldn't have a child. But there's a difference between being barren and being a virgin. Here's the difference. The difference is if you're barren, it means there's, it means there's been activity but no fruit. But in Mary's case, she's a virgin. There has been no activity but there was fruit. That's a lesson for the church today. 
I think a lot of churches have a lot of activity, but there's no fruit. They're, they're doing a lot of things in the flesh, but there's no fruit. Come on, church. Hallelujah. We don't need a lot of activity to try to produce some fruit. What we really need is just, just, just back off and say, God, work a miracle. I can do nothing in ourselves. Our church can do nothing without him. It's time to understand and realize we need a move of God that is supernatural. A move that is not produced by the flesh, but it's moving that it's that it happens by the activity of the Holy Ghost. The angel tells Mary, What's in you is from God. Ah, church, when I appear before the Lord on the day of judgment, I want to be able to say, What happened at Journey Life Center was of the Spirit. There are ways to build numbers of people, but I'm not so concerned about numbers as much as we need to be concerned about what the Spirit of the Lord is doing. Oh, Jesus. Something new. Mary is favored. You know, we Protestants don't talk about Mary enough. You think about what she went through. Think about the kind of person she was. Probably 16 years old when the Holy Ghost came upon her. And the angel says, you are highly favored. In that moment, she's like, yes. How many want to be favored How many want to be favored by the Lord? And right after that, she had nothing but trouble. Come on now. Nothing but trouble. I wonder sometimes when we pray, because when I, when I get up here and preach and say, God, you're going to have favor, we think, I'm getting a raise. I'm getting that new car. Maybe I could buy this more more, more gifts under the tree. Maybe I'll have this. Maybe I'll have that. Give me this. Give me that. Give me, give me, give me that. And we think favor in terms of material things. And that can be part of it. And God has blessed me. Has God blessed you with, with, with natural things? That's okay. But we really think about it. He can bless you with all that stuff. But you can't take any of that with you to heaven. You're going to leave all that behind. Your kids can't wait. But she had nothing but trouble. What if, what if, what if Mary went to the people that, that we go to? If, if she went to her doctor, her doctor would have said, get that child out of that barn. There's nothing but diseases in there. What is wrong with you? What, if she went to her local pastor, he would say, I can't even let you join the church. You're Yeah, you and Joseph. <laughs> and, and then you have the nerve to say Joseph wasn't even the conceived by the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Come on now. What if she went to the local police? You know what his advice would be? You need to get in a witness protection plan. And they did. It was called Egypt. 
And for two years, they were in hiding in Egypt. Highly favored. I had to uproot my whole family and move to Egypt where nobody knew me. What if you talk to Mary's banker? Well, there is some good news. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. (laughs) That's probably what they took with them to Egypt, and that's what they lived off of for two years. (laughs) So I guess that is a blessing. If you went to Mary's lawyer, he'd say, get a good one. Because you're going to have a lot of problems. This this Jesus thing, you're going to have a lot of problems. And what if you talk to Mary's counselor? Can you imagine? There she is, and Herod kills. They they know approximately the... um, population of, uh, they know about how many baby boys there were, and it was prob- they probably killed a couple dozen little boys under the age. Of Said, they're killing these kids because they're looking for mine. You know what that's called? PTSD. <laughs> and you have to uproot your family and move to Egypt? I know moving isn't much to us anymore, but moving to Egypt is a huge thing. You got to walk to Egypt, by the way. She had, and I can go on and on and talk about her her whole life. What was her life like? And and then at the cross, when they prophesied to her in the temple, he said, Your heart's going to be pierced. Where's the favor? We need to remember that favor isn't always what we think of favor. So we got to stop looking at it from what we want and what we look at it as and start looking at it from heaven. Because from heaven, let me tell you something, no, nobody, uh, you know, the shepherds did a little hallelujah there in the field, but nobody was really rejoicing except the, the angels. Oh, the, let me tell you, when Jesus came down, that was a party in heaven. There was celebration in heaven. When they looked at Mary, they said, Mary, you don't know how it's all going to end. You don't know. Amen. You'll be there on the day of Pentecost. You'll be there when he ascends up into heaven. Amen. And you're going to heaven and you'll be with us forever. Listen, we don't understand favor until we see it from heaven's perspective. I want heaven's favor. Favor isn't always about other people's opinion of you. Favor is about heaven's opinion about you. Amen. It's not about what others are saying. It's not about how prosperous you might be. It's about how blessed you are. How much peace do you have? In the middle of the storms. Oh, my God. Highly favored. I I, I can't prove this in the scriptures, but those angels that appeared to the shepherds, you know what I think? I think they were a rogue band. I I think they were up in heaven just, look at this. Jesus. Jesus. Who existed from all eternity is God took on the form of a human. The angels were rejoicing. This was, Mary, you're favored. You're going through some stuff, but you're favored. This is so awesome. From heaven, there was celebration. And I think some of the angels just start looking at each other and said, you know what, you look down on the earth and they don't even know what's going on. Nobody on earth knows what's going on. They're just going about their lives. 
I'm kind of thinking that's the way it is today. There's so much going on in the spirit realm. God is moving, but 90% of the people are unaware of what God, God is doing in the planet. Running after their own agenda, seeking their own thing, thinking some politician's going to save them when what they really need is Jesus. How many know Jesus is working? There's something to celebrate. A party broke out in heaven. Mary, I want you to understand something. You ladies will understand what I'm about to say. Pregnancy forms you. Hello. You don't have much choice in the matter. It changes everything, doesn't it? Changes your moods. And physically, you get the bump. You become different. Pregnancy, oh, God help us in this place. Pregnancy forms you. Come on. I want you to get these two words. Today's church, in many cases, I'm not here to judge anyone. Uh, I don't know. You know, sometimes it's a combination of things. But unfortunately, many churches are what I call transactional, but they are not transformational. They have transactions. And the transaction, if you boil it all down, it's basically this. You come to church, put money in the plate, and I'll preach what you like. We, we want to hear music that blesses our soul, but does nothing for the spirit. Sometimes we just want nostalgic music. Sometimes we'd like the mood music. Just sometimes, you know, it's trans, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, and we want to be loved when we come in. And we want someone to shake our hand. And, and we want the programs that we need for our family. And all, you know, there's nothing wrong with all that stuff. But the church needs to be more than transactional. It needs to be more than this for that. Uh, we'll do this for you if you'll do that for us. That's not enough. You can get that at Walmart. You give them their money, and you give them your money, and they give you stuff you want. That's called a transaction. And churches are transactional, but how many are transformational? We need to stop just preaching messages that entertain and tickle the ear and make you feel good. Amen. Now, hopefully my message, at the end, by the end, you'll feel better. I'm not saying we should feel bad. But if it's just there to tickle you and entertain you and just make you feel good and it never changes you, no one ever gets saved unless you realize you're wrong. You're not going to heaven until you stop going where you've been going. It's time to lay the word down just as it is. Amen. Speak the truth in love. I understand that. But we need to speak the truth even when people don't like it, even when there's something better across town or whatever it is. We need to speak the Transformational means that sometimes we have to preach a message that challenges you, that tells you you're going in the wrong direction, and you need to make a change. Merry Christmas. Give God a good praise. Wow. Wow. Where am I? 
Transformation. You see, she didn't just get good news. She was carrying the good news now. Listen, it's one thing for you to receive the good news. It's something else to carry the good news. Wow. So she, she carries she carries the word of God. It's transformational. Did you get that in there? I love this scripture. My little children, Paul says, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. It's one thing for you to be in Christ. If you're saved, you're in Christ. That was too weak. If you're saved, you are in Christ. But how much is Christ in you? And Paul says, I know you're in Christ, but I'm praying and I'm laying on my face and I'm interceding. Come on, somebody. I'm interceding every day, not just that Christ get in you, but that you get in Christ, that something transformational will happen in your life, that you'll become more Christ-like, that the Word in you will grow and change your form. That's why Mary, because she was willing to be favored by God and go through whatever she had to go through to get to be wherever. Amen. She carried the word of God. How many times have I preached about Elizabeth, right? Elizabeth's carrying John the Baptist. He hadn't moved. It's, she's six months pregnant. The baby should have moved by now. And Mary comes along, bebop a little 16-year-old. And, and, and to put it in, in 2 Philippians, it says, see, some of you are in your Bible right now. 2 Philippians. She says, hey, Liz. And that greeting caused John the Baptist to leap in her womb. My prayer today is that you'll not only get big with the word, but the word will start leaping in you, that it'll come alive in you. Don't just carry the word. Make the word come alive. It's time for the word to kick in some of us. It's time for a breakout. It's time for us to start birthing ministry. It's time for us to start changing lives. It's time for us... To quit just coming to church to receive and start leaving the church to give. What about, what about Pilate? He's the governor. Pilate has all the power. Mary has none. Pilate is in charge of everybody. Mary's not even in charge of her own body. Did you notice the angel didn't ask her? He just said, hey, you're pregnant. What I got to say in this? No. By the way, you're highly favored. Thank you, Jesus. Now I got to tell Joseph. Oh, Jesus. I mean, you know, I heard one person say that maybe the reason there, there was no, it wasn't about not having room in the inn, it's because, ladies, back then when you were pregnant, you were unclean. It might have been that nobody wanted her in their, in their house. I mean, this is, this is some rough stuff. You know, being favored doesn't mean life's just going your way. Oh, Jesus. So he's a governor. He's favored by man. 
She's favored by the Holy Ghost. But get this, get this. If you can get this, you'll, you'll have it. Jesus appears before, Herod, before Pilate, right? Jesus is in Mary, but he's before Pilate. He stands before Pilate, and Pilate judges Jesus. His job is to find fault. The world's all about finding fault. In fact, there's a few church people. They call it discernment. But it's really just judgment. There's a difference between discernment and figuring out the sins in other people's lives. Pilate judges Jesus. Mary was judged by Jesus. And she was judged to be worthy. Pilate judged Jesus unworthy. But Jesus judged Mary as worthy. Not because she qualified. You know, at 16, you haven't done a whole lot. It's not because she was all that. She was probably a typical 16-year-old. Hello, 16-year-olds. I don't know, I don't know what was different about her. What, what could she possibly, how could she possibly be that different? She's just another girl. She qualified because she didn't qualify. God's going to start using some of you, not because you qualify, but because you don't qualify. Oh, you'll get that in a week or two. God, start using some people. Listen, quit putting yourself down and quit listening to other people and quit listening to your past and quit looking at your failures and, and quit listening to everybody and everything that tells you you're, you're, you'll never amount to anything. You qualify because you don't qualify. You qualify because God wants to brag on you. God, mm, you qualify because Jesus wants to brag on himself. He wants the whole world to see what he can do through somebody who can't do it. Somebody raised their hand and said, that's me. He calls the unqualified. And then he qualifies them. Pilate was looking for faults. Mary was looking for signs and wonders. Pilate was in complete control. Mary was totally out of control. Mary was formed by Jesus. Pilate formed Jesus through whipping, through the crucifixion, through the tearing out of his beard, to the spittle on his face, to the reputation that was ruined, the lies that were spilled. Pilate formed Jesus. That scripture said from Isaiah, there was, no, there was no comeliness about him. We didn't even recognize him. When they talked about Jesus, they said, Jesus, you're not even 50 years old. And Jesus is thinking, oh, I'm 33. Don't you hate it when people put 15 years on you? His favor aged him. 